Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is a series we've been uh, working through recently. And one thing I want to tell you today is that Christians are not meant to be original. Now, if this is the first time you've come into a church, you may be thinking, well, this is fairly obvious because they clearly all wear check shirts. That's the first thing um, I've learned. Uh, but actually, what we're going to look at today is the Apostle Paul telling a bunch of Christians that they need to copy him and other people who have copied him. And that's all they're to do. And that later on, they're going to become a true copy of someone else. And that can be quite hard for us to hear because uh, we live in a culture that talks about going your own way, making your own path, writing your own story. And here the Bible says, well, actually, you need to copy other people. So let's see what that really means. We're going to explore what Paul says by looking in uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting from verse 17. And Paul says to them, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you uh, that you speak to us through your word. We want to thank you that things you tell us are true and they are good for us. And so now, would you, uh, by your Holy Spirit, uh, enable me to say things that will help us, that are true, that are from you, and enable each one of us here, whatever we currently believe, whatever our experience of life up to this moment have been, uh, to trust you and to hear from you. You're speaking to us this morning, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Amen. (coughs) Amen. So Paul is writing to the Philippians from prison. He he has been arrested for being a Christian and for going around and preaching the gospel. And he's writing to the Philippians because they have sent him uh, via one of their members called Epaphroditus, um, I think some money and some support and encouragement and help for him in his current situation. And so he's just like, oh, these guys, they're so good. I'm going to write back to them. And the reason they knew him was because he had been the person who took the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the city of Philippi, where they were. And he had preached the gospel and numbers of them had responded to him. They had put their trust in Jesus. They'd formed a new community, the church. And then it had been time for Paul to move on. But they still obviously felt a strong affection for him and love for him and gratitude for him and an emotional connection with him. And so they sent him this gift and he sends them a letter back and says, guys, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. And he wants them to live the full life of a Christian. He doesn't want them just to have had this uh, experience back in their past where they had a moment, they heard someone say something and they said, yeah, Jesus sounds good. And then they get on with their lives. He doesn't want that. He wants them to be walking with Jesus every day of their lives. Walking is one of the primary metaphors that Paul uses for the Christian life. It might not seem very spectacular, but it tells us that we're to be making progress and actually that we are following someone. Uh, A bit like Paolo and Maria particularly said, Jesus is alive. He is going places where to follow him. And Paul wants every believer in Philippi to be able to do that. 
And I believe God wants every believer here to do the same. And so Paul's thinking, how can I encourage them? How can I enable them uh, to do this? What can I say to them to help them follow Jesus, to help them love and know God and live life to the full? And he does two things in this letter. Firstly, he tells them a lot of true things about God and about them, who they are in God, what God has done for them. So he says, the more you know this, the more you'll live it out, because as you think, so you live. If you want to know what you believe and what you think about things, consider your actions, because they are the most accurate way of gauging that. So Paul says, I want you to tell you the truth. I want the truth to be in your life and in your heart, and I want you to get it. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He isn't just a lecturer who says, here is some information, deal with that. He says, guys, do you remember what it was like when I was with you? Do you remember what I was like? Well, imitate that. And other people you see who are imitating, keep your eyes on them as well. Look at them, follow them, do what they do. That is his advice to this church. And so he says, don't kind of think of your own ideas, come up with some fresh new way of doing things. He says, look at me, look at the people who are following me, copy them. And it just seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Because no one ever really says, copy that even though it's a kind of a it's like an unwritten thing in our society it's like go your own way in the same way that we are which doesn't really make sense when you think about it but no one ever says hey do you know what you should you really should imitate those other people that's what you should do but Paul says that is what you should do because that is the way that you see what Christianity is like when it is being lived out and then you can apply that to your own life. And the Bible is full of encouragement to do this. So I haven't just found this one verse where it says this. The Bible consistently tells us, copy those who are following Jesus. Imitate those. A whole bunch of references. Psalm 145, verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So parents were to tell their children, older people were to tell younger people, more mature Christians were to tell less mature Christians, these are the things that God has done. Psalms was written in the Old Testament, it's part of the people of God. They were to say, guys, do you remember we were in Egypt and God rescued us out of there. We weren't a people, we didn't have a land, but God brought us together and gave us a land. And you think, well, how do you remember that? Obviously, we can read it in a book, but it's God's will that People who have experienced God tell others about that. And the New Testament carries this on. It's full of it. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. John 13 15, Jesus himself says, I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. He says that just after he's washed their feet. So it's not even after he's done something like really cool and exciting. It's like, whoa, I'd love to do that. It's like, after I've washed people's feet, Jesus says, now you do that too. You follow my example. And Paul says this repeatedly. He says it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 of the first letter to them, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So this is a consistent pattern in the Bible. 
that if you want to know how to live, you read God's word, you get your thinking right, but you look at other people who are doing it. And you think, how can I do it like them? And sometimes if we're in a place that's quite uh, cerebral, if I might use that word, if, we, uh, uh, if we've grown up being taught in a way where you are, you are told things and you think, okay, I think that now, I'll go and do it. This is slightly unusual. Because what God wants you to do is not just rely on your own mind, not just rely on your own thinking, not just on your own ability to work things out, but actually to learn from other people. And to humble yourself in that way and say, I don't quite get this, but you seem to have got it slightly more than me. How can I learn that from you? I think this is one of the most important things I've learned in my Christian life. It's also one of the most tricky. Because even as I've been saying these things, you might have just been saying in your head, well, yeah, but what about this? And does this mean we, you all become the same? Does it mean you all sound the same, look the same? Is it everyone has to do the same job or something? Clearly, no. Because God loves diversity. But when Paul says imitate their faith, he's giving us a, a, a context to understand what this kind of imitation is about. So for me as a younger leader, one of the things I wanted to do was that I want to be a good leader. How do I do that? Often when you're called into leadership, it's just because God's doing a thing in your life and you're not even really aware of it. Um, he, got, he may just have made you that way. Um, so I was home last week and uh, we were talking about this with my mum and my mum's like, your first year at school, your teacher said he's a natural leader. I had no context of that, I had no concept of that whatsoever. I was just being myself. Um, but later on I thought, no, okay, God seems to have called me to be a leader. How do I do that? And what did I do? I looked at other leaders. I looked at the guy who led my church. He was really different from me in lots of ways. I like planning things. He was really spontaneous. I like to be really serious about stuff. He was much more kind of like, just like, oh, we'll work it out. It'll be fine. And a lot of that I found quite infuriating. But he loved God and he had faith in God. And I learned from him because I thought to myself, how do I have what he has? That, that, that kind of quick relationship with God. Later on, I did an internship in a church in London led by a completely different guy. And he invited me. It was a great privilege to spend six months just following him around. Needs a huge church in London. He was totally different. He was really pragmatic. He was a great strategist. Uh, he was a really good team leader. He managed to hold all these different kind of gifts together. And so I'm watching him. And I'm thinking, how has he done that? What was he doing there? Why did he make that decision in that way? When I came to King's, to Edinburgh, one of the reasons I came here was I felt God speak to me very clearly that I had lo loads that I needed to learn from Matthew. So all the time, I'm doing this as a leader. I'm thinking, how are these guys leading? What are they doing? The tricky thing with that is the danger of just impersonating someone else, which isn't quite what Paul's been saying here. When he says, imitate their faith. See the people who are following Jesus. The danger is you can see, uh, if you're a preacher, you see someone who preaches in a really effective or, or, or way that you really like, and so you start to try and become like them as well. And you could do that in, in your job. You could do the things that excite you about maybe ministry or following Jesus. You might think to yourself, well, that person's done it like that and it's worked. So I need to be, like, I need to be exactly like them. I need to do what they've done in exactly the same way and basically copy them. Well, you'll be a rubbish copy of them. So it doesn't really work that way. But it's, a, it's taking the lessons, the principles that they have and applying them to the gifts that God has given you. So I've done that with leaders in my life. I've done that 
um, with people who I haven't met. So people who, who I just think are great preachers or great writers or great heroes of the faith. I read biographies uh, to learn about people who I can imitate in some way. It's much harder when they're at a distance because you don't know their whole life. But there's enough that you can learn some things from. You can pick up, um, it's not even hints and tips, it, it's, it's how someone lives, how they think. I remember reading George Miller's uh, biography. He was a guy who set up orphanages in the, I think, 18th or 19th century uh, all over England, and phenomenal faith. He just read page after page in this slightly idiosyncratic style of his, but I felt like at the end I knew him a bit. And what I really knew was his faith that believed God for things. If you've seen the news, uh, was it yesterday, um, with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, uh, discovering that the guy he thought was his dad wasn't really his dad. Um, now, there's a whole bunch of that stuff about that guy's life that I'm never going to know, because I don't imagine I'm ever going to meet him uh, on the earth right now. And so I'm not going to know. But how he has handled that very difficult situation with phenomenal grace and trusting God and declaring that my identity is in Jesus, not in my genes, it's beautiful. And so when I see something like that, I'm not just thinking, that's a nice story. I'm like, how did he do that? How did he get there? What was it about his faith that enabled him to respond in that manner? Can I do the same? We're not meant to be passive as Christians. You're not meant to just kind of hear things and be like, okay, great, okay, great. Now let's work out how I'm going to live. You're meant to think about these things and process them. And you're meant to do that with our friends as well. Key friendships, people who know God and who love him, who are living for him. Even if what they're called to do is completely different to what you're called to do, God wants you to learn from them and to imitate their faith. And even then, just people in the church who you don't know, but you see how they serve, or you see how they're going through a difficult season, or how they're making big decisions. And you may not know them all that well, but you're close enough to see something of that. I think, wow, I'd like, I want to do that. I want to do it in that way. How can I learn from them? All of this is God's will for you. And it's why, I might just say, it is impossible for you to mature as a Christian outside of the local church. Because whilst heroes and people who are famous, you can learn a little bit about them, the people you learn from best and you can imitate the most are the people around you. Paul says to the Philippians, keep your eye on those who are following the example that I gave you. He's like, well, I'm in prison and somewhere else, so you can't follow me. But you can imitate those guys, they're right there. And that's what God has for us. That's why he's put us in this community. Now, that, the flip side of that obviously means that you are called to be an example as well. Everyone who's a leader, this is absolutely in the job description. When you read Paul's um, letters to Timothy and Titus, he says this is what the elders in the church are to be like and the deacons who are to serve as well. It's all about character. It's all about a life that is imitatable, that you can look at that life and think, I want to be like that as well. And so if you're here and you're a leader, I want you to hear that responsibility. I remember I, um, when I graduated from university, I went back and worked at my old school. And I'd been in that school for five years uh, through kind of from year nine to sixth form hires and um, I've been there for five years, then went away to uni and then came back, and now I was a classroom assistant. I remember walking through the school just thinking, oh, this is totally different. Because the teachers now don't call me by my, you know, I'm, 
I'm to be Mr. Davidaitis, which is difficult for everyone, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the teachers, I'm to call them by their first names. And the kids are to call me by my surname. And the kind of occasional hilarious, like, public comeback that I would give teachers as a brilliant pupil, that can't be done anymore. Those signs of disrespect, I can't do those anymore because I've kind of, you, there's a sense of like, you kind of cross this thing, don't you? Where what's appropriate when you're a pupil is not appropriate when you're on staff. And so there's almost a, you lose something of, of, of a freedom in some way when you take a leadership responsibility. There are things that you could do, but actually if other people in the church see you doing that, they won't know why you've done that and will make a bad decision based on that. And so as a leader, in a way, there's something about you're slightly less free because you have to live in a way that is exemplary. God calls us to that. That's a real thing, and I want us to take it really seriously. That isn't, of course, meaning that you have to be perfect because I don't know about you, but I say some of the times I've learned most from leaders is when I've seen it not going perfectly for them. When I've come around to their house and everything is still a mess and, you know, a couple have had an argument or a kid is still running around naked and screaming or, you know, whatever. And you think, okay, as, for me, as someone learning from other people, I'm like, key moment. How do they respond now? <laughs> you know, because it actually is like that, isn't it? When you see, if you, all you ever see of someone is their perfect life and how glorious everything is, you can't let, it almost feels like that's too much for distance. But one of the things we're called to model as leaders, is trusting God all the time and repentance. And when we see that in people, we learn that, we're able to actually have a real relationship with God. And so that's obviously a call to leaders, but it's a call to all of us because we're all to be examples to one another as we follow the faith, as we learn and imitate and follow Jesus. We're to be examples to one another. Now, key friendship for me was when a bunch of us, as mates, none of us really had any leadership responsibility, but just kind of together, one of us said, why don't we meet and pray? We're just going to do that every week. And we did it for years. And it just enabled me to learn how other guys prayed, and it enabled me to learn how they were dealing with situations differently, uh, different situations than I had, how their work, what that was like for them, what it meant being a Christian to be a firefighter and a graphic designer um, and an electrical engineer. And I was none of those things. But I could imitate their faith. This was the challenge, and this is how I dealt with it. And can you pray with me? Because I'm not sure how to deal with it. And we come through it together. These are really important things. I think perhaps a way of helpfully understanding this is as apprenticeship. Now, I don't really watch The Apprentice, but as far as I can work out, it's got nothing to do with apprenticeship. (laughs) Because what happens is they let some stupid people do some stupid things, and then they laugh at them. And that's not an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship by the biblical model is more like what my dad had. He was, a, he was a, a steam turbine engineer. And you can't just let people have a steam turbine and see what happens. They have to watch, and they watch, and they watch someone who knows what they're doing, and they're alongside them. And then eventually the person who knows what they're doing says, well, you can try that bit. You can try this bit. You can do that bit. And they do, and they grow in knowledge alongside someone. And they work and they grow alongside them. And they bring new skills as technology develops and education develops and all that. But they're still learning from that person who was doing it probably before they were born. 
They learn and they grow. And then the time comes where almost like a baton is passed and they move on. And then they take someone on as an apprentice. And so I think that's really what Paul has in his mind. Because when you look through the New Testament, you see him doing that all the time. Paul barely goes anywhere by himself apart from prison. And even then, sometimes in prison, he takes some others along as well. But he's always got other people alongside him. For the Philippians, he says, hey, Timothy, I'm sending you to him. He's just like me. And Epaphroditus, who's come from you, but I obviously knew him before. And so follow Timothy, follow Epaphroditus. They've been with me. Now they're doing it for themselves. You guys imitate them too. And then you can do it. In his letter to Timothy, second letter to Timothy, actually, 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, what you learned from me, Timothy, pass on to other trustworthy people, and then they will tell others. And that's like a four-generation apprenticeship going on. Paul says, hey, Timothy, remember, I told you, and we walked together, and we learned our faith together. Now you pass that on to a bunch of other people, and do the same with them as I did with you. And then they will do the same with a whole bunch more people, as you did with me and as I did with you, etc., etc. This is what, this is how Christianity actually spread. They didn't have the Bible for a long time, but they had the truth and the power of God at work in their lives. They shared it with each other. They spread it all over the world. And so this is what Paul wants us to do. And it's what we need to do. And it's what we need Because as Paul goes on to say, it's not automatic as a Christian that you're going to follow Jesus. And you probably know that already. I didn't really need to tell you that, did I? You know that not every day you wake up and you're like, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do all day long. Amazing. You get some days like that, but not that many. Um, So, Paul goes on to say, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's going to go on to talk about a good example, but he's going to start with a bad example. He's like, these guys, I'm telling you, I'm not just, you know, he says it with tears, he's so passionate, he isn't just like, oh, idiots, hey? He is absolutely gutted. He says, you mustn't be like this. These are the examples you must be warned against. To kind of put it in a rough chronological order. He says, fundamentally, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What does that mean? Well, because the cross is God's ultimate revelation of who he is, it's the final word. If you think, what is God like? Jesus on the cross. That is your answer. And on the cross, Jesus was giving his life in agony, not just the physical agony of crucifixion, but the spiritual and emotional agony of separation from God the Father and God the Father pouring his anger and wrath for all our sins on Jesus. That's what's happening on the cross. And Jesus goes through the agony of that. We can't even begin to comprehend it and gives up his life. God dies, which is mind-blowing. And we celebrated it recently at Easter, and it's incredible and phenomenal, and you can't just say, huh, or, well, maybe. The cross is too extreme for that. It doesn't allow for apathy, or for ignorance, or just ambivalence. You either accept the cross, or you are opposed to it. It is the wisdom of God. And if you don't think it is, that isn't just one, oh, well, we'll take one way or the other. And that's what these people are doing, Paul says. They are enemies of the cross because they reject it. They don't want it. 
Part of the reason for that, he goes on to say, is because their minds are set on earthly things and their God is their belly. When Paul says earthly things, he doesn't necessarily mean everyday life. What he means is the things that are kind of as opposed to God. He puts a kind of pairing together, God and heaven, not God, earth. It's, it's not, it's, the flesh is important and we're to live full lives now. But what Paul says is, all these guys are thinking about is right here, right now. All they are thinking about is themselves. It says their God is their belly, which means that they're kind of the things they want to do, that sets their agenda. I was remembering there's a, a story years ago, like, I don't even know how many years ago, about uh, the film director Woody Allen. And he had been uh, in a relationship with someone called Mia Farrow. She had an ado- adopted daughter. And, um, and Woody Allen basically left Mia Farrow to start a relationship with that adopted daughter as well. And I was reading in- an interview with him that Time magazine uh, did this week in which they basically say, this is pretty bad, isn't it? And he just keeps replying, well, no, it's actually quite reasonable when you look at it from my point of view. And they say, yeah, yeah, but I mean, she was the adopted daughter of the person you were going out with, and now you're going out with her. Isn't that bad? And Woody Allen's closing comment on it was, The heart wants what it wants. That's exactly what Paul says here when he talks about their God is their belly. People say, well, I I mean, I I wanted to do it. So, like, that's the end of the discussion, isn't it? For the Christian, that's never the end of the discussion. That's the beginning of the discussion that then has to be put into a framework of what God has said. Paul says these others aren't doing that. They want to do something, they do it. You're not to be like that, Paul says, because you're following someone else. You're not following your belly, your appetite, your desires. And he says they glory in their shame. It's just a helpful reminder that self-justification is not a modern phenomenon. We've just got many more ways of doing it now. And actually, if you're just experiencing that, there's there's moments where you you, you are self-justifying yourself And the way you do that is actually you make a loud noise that kind of drowns out the little voice saying, that is not right. You say, look what I did. That is not right. No, shut up. Look what I've done. And you harden your conscience. And Paul says that their end is destruction. That is a stark warning. That to reject God, who is the giver of life, to reject the cross of Christ, which is the means by which we can be reconciled to God, is to be left to our own devices. The Bible talks about God turning us over to our own devices, leaving us to our own ways. And that is away from him. And that is away from goodness and life and hope. And it's to embrace instead destruction and death. So it's worth, when Paul gives us this stern warning thinking about ourselves, thinking about our lives, thinking about what is setting our agenda. Who is setting our agenda? What are the things that you are living for, hoping for? What are you giving your best energies to? What are you making a priority? Could they fit in this negative example? Finally, Paul gives us some good news. Verses 20 and 21. He says, this is how they're like, now this is how you are to be like, Paul says, because this is who you are. Our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Paul says, this is how you're to live. This is how I lived. Remember, this is what I was like. He spends all of chapter 2 and 3 kind of reminding them of his life and reminding them of Christ's life. And if we want just two words to describe that, would be it's humble and it's hopeful. In Philippians 2, if you remember, if you know uh, the letter, it's the famous passage describing how Jesus, though he was in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing. Taking the very form of a servant, being found in human likeness, uh, was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, that is what Jesus did. And then he describes his own life. He says, I had all these things going for me and I thought they were amazing. But then I met Jesus and I realized they were all rubbish. And so I got rid of them all and they were taken away from me. There's a humbling in that, Paul says. But he doesn't stop there. Sometimes as Christians, we kind of stop there. We're like, it's like a downhill slope. And I talked about this, like the U-shaped story of Christianity. We had some stuff. We thought it was good. We realized actually it was rubbish. Our lives were a mess. Jesus came into our lives and he brought us into a new hope. Paul says that's how we're to live. And it makes us humble as we realize that it was only by God's grace that we're able to do this. But it makes us hopeful because the direction that a Christian is heading in is upwards, is a good direction, Paul says. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's a particularly powerful thing to say to the Philippians because Philippi was a colony of the Roman Empire. So it was in an area where... um, Uh, The Romans had conquered it, and they basically wanted to show everyone around there how great it was to be a Roman. And so they had a bunch of people who were Roman citizens, which not everyone in the Roman Empire was. To be a citizen gave you certain rights, privileges, possibilities, securities. And so they said, let's build a city full of people like that, and then everyone else around them will see how great it is to be a Roman, and they'll want to be a Roman too. And Paul says, I mean, that's basically what the church is. It's a colony of people who belong to an empire, who belong to a different way, and who demonstrate that way in their local community. And they show it in everything they do and how they live. But Paul knows that's a challenge for the Philippians, because they lived in a really cool city. He's like, you have to remember, I know it's great, but you don't belong to it. And we face the same challenge here living in Edinburgh. There was a survey that came out, I think this week or the week before, 96% of people who live in Edinburgh like living in Edinburgh. You're like, well, of course they do. Because for most people in this city, it's a great city and there's a lot going on. And I mean, it was a council survey, so I don't know if they maybe slightly tweaked it to like find them. Actually, when I looked at the thing, it said satisfied, which is kind of like liking, isn't it? Like, are you satisfied living in Edinburgh? Yeah, sure. Um, 96% of people like living in Edinburgh. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's a great city, and there's a lot going on. I've got a book on my shelf called Capital of the Mind, How Edinburgh Changed the World. <laughs> Which, when you look at it, it kind of did. So you live in a place that's really cool, got a lot going for it. If life's going well for you, this is a great place to be. It's very easy to think, well, this is what I'm all about. Because this is my day, it's my every day. I could go for a walk here, I could do this, I could work here, I do this, I, go. I live in a great place. And Paul says, that's absolutely fine, but that is not what defines you. Your citizenship, he says, your status, your identity is in heaven, not here. And you've got to realise that. You've got to think that way. 
It's easy to focus on the here and now when the here and now is good. But Christians are always caused, called to focus on what's next. Paul says, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word await is not waiting for a bus. It's not like, well, here I am. I wonder if there's something I can do to kind of entertain me between now and when the thing happens. And it's certainly not awaiting an exam or like a deadline or a presentation where you're like, please, just, oh my goodness, this day comes faster and faster and I can't stop it. Paul says we await, the word means eager anticipation. So you know when you book tickets for a gig or you're going to a wedding or it's your wedding or something's happening that you're really excited about, when those moments come, you're like, hurry up. Come on, that day. And you think about the day all the time. You make plans for it. You talk to other people about it. You say on social media, I can't believe it's seven weeks until this happens. And everyone else who doesn't care is like, will you stop talking about it? But you're eagerly awaiting it. You're excited that the day is coming. You're keen for it to come. And that, Paul says, is to be your attitude if you're a Christian. It's coming. It's on its way. Get excited. And sometimes I think, particularly as kind of British Christians... If you are that, you're not sure if you can really be this because the other Christians who kind of get excited about the end coming are a bit odd. <laughs> and they kind of focus on when it's going to be. And Paul doesn't tell you to focus on when it's going to be. He tells you to focus on the fact that it's coming. The New Testament is full of excitement and confidence that Jesus is coming back. It's all about that. A friend of mine uses the example. He says, it's like when you... When there's a storm, you see the lightning, and you know that thunder's coming. You don't think, I wonder if there'll be thunder after that lightning. The thunder's coming, because it's a storm, and that's what happens. The lightning bolt is the resurrection of Jesus. We are in the moment in between where we are waiting for him to come back. The thunder of his return. Where he'll demonstrate that our citizenship has been in heaven all the time, and will be with him. And what does Paul say will happen when that happens? will become new creations. He says, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When we talk about being an example, you probably feel a bit of tension in that, don't you? Because you're like, well, sometimes, and some parts of my life, I think, yeah, I'm happy for people to see that. And there's other parts I'd really rather they didn't because I haven't really got that bit right yet, or I don't even want to get that bit right yet. You should feel that tension if you're a Christian. You feel that tug. I'm kind of sometimes walking this way, the way that I shouldn't do, and other times walking the way that I should do. Paul says the day is coming where you will be so transformed that the only thing to do is walk the way you should do. It's coming, Paul says. He, Jesus, is going to transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. And this is the amazing thing about this imitation that God uh, calls us to do. He says, right now, we're learning how to copy people. We're learning how to imitate them. One day, you are going to be changed into the likeness of Christ. So your imitation now is actually a prophetic statement of what God is going to complete in you later on. Paul said to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Every moment where you, you take a step of faith in God, where you believe him, where you do what he has called you to do in imitation of Christ, that will be fulfilled. And that will then become all that you do and all that you are and all that you are like. And all that part of you that went the other way and all that part of you that wasn't sure and all that part of you that doubted and things like that, 
it will be transformed. Transformed. I love this when I'm tired praying in the morning. Sometimes I'm full of beans and energy and it's great. And there are other times I can't even say a word. I don't even know how to speak. And I'm like, Lord, this is awful. I'm trying to pray and I can't. And one of the things God often reminds me of at that point is, but one day I will. This body right now gets tired, gets distracted, is stupid. Has its, has its good moments, has its bad moments. Jesus says, here's where you're going. All good. Paul uses the example of a seed and then a tree. He says that's the, that's the degree of difference from now to what will be. It's like if you see a, like a baby photo of someone and then you see them fully grown, like how did you go from that to that? It's that kind of degree of transformation the Bible says is coming for all of us. In fact, it's even more than that. It's like if you could have a photo of like, the, I don't know, the first multiplying cells that later became you. It's like it's that degree of change of glorious transformation. That is what Jesus is going to do. And I love it that what Paul says about this, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Jesus is ruling all things. He's sustaining all things. He has resurrection power. Death couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't hold him. And what does he choose to do with that power? Make you like him. Isn't that amazing? That is wonderful. That's the truth of Christianity. That's why we imitate people now. That's why we're copying, because this is the direction we're heading in. This is who we belong to. This is our citizenship. Please do not be fooled into looking at this other option, this earthly, present, God-of-the-belly way of living. We can be tempted to that, can't we? Because often it feels like Christianity is dreams deferred. We see other people right now, and they're living their dream. And you know, whatever that kind of thing is that you would like to be doing, like they're doing that job. I mean, they had to cut those corners, and they did that, and they, which they shouldn't have done, and did that. But they've got their dream job. Man, I wish I had that dream job. Or they're having sex with whoever they want. I can't say that it's difficult. I want to. But they can get to do whatever they want. Or whatever the example is for you. Maybe it's people you work with, people you live with. You're seeing them doing these things, and you think, I wish I could do that, but I don't think I can. Paul says, look, look how this plays out. Sometimes Christians, I think, get confused by this. And they think that everything they want should happen now. And say, so they say, everyone's going to be healed and everyone's going to be rich if they're Christians. And Paul's example doesn't say that to us because Paul's in prison. And so we live with something that the, uh, a common phrase to describe is the now and not yet of Christianity. It has begun. If you're a Christian, God has done a work in you. You are a new creation. There is a new birth in you that is on its way to this glorious fulfillment that Christ is going to bring about. But it's not fully done. But it will be one day. And so we live with that hope and we live in that tension and we live trying to work that out. And we do that together in confident hope that Jesus is one day going to finish it all off. He never starts something he doesn't finish. I started by saying that Christians aren't called to be original. That can just be upsetting. You think, well, that would be a great thing to do. God has got a better plan for you. He's going to make you like his son. And so I want to encourage you to think, who can I follow? Who can I be learning from? 
It's one of the reasons we raise up many, many leaders. We encourage many people to surf because as you grow, you're more, you can be an example to other people. We want there to be loads of those across the church. It certainly isn't me and Matthew and Dan. It's, like, it's just not. It's got to be scores of people who are doing this. So I want you to think for yourself, who, who am I close to? Who am I learning from? Are you investing in your small group? Are you learning from people there? Or you just kind of turn up and then clock off again? People you're serving with, just friendships within the church. Are you learning from them? What can you imitate of their faith? What can they imitate of yours? And are you living with this hope? Not in these earthly things now that have a very limited sell-by date, shelf life. But are you putting your hope that your confidence and your eternal future is in Christ and that he is going to change all things, including you? That's what God's calling us to do today. So I want us to pray and then we're going to finish. Lord, I want to thank you so much that we've got words of hope. I want to thank you so much, Jesus, that you lived amongst us. We don't think, oh, I wonder what God's like. We, we've seen you. You've showed yourself to us. I thank you. You've showed yourself to us in your word and then through your people, imperfectly often, but there's many people who we have learned from, who spoke to us, who blessed us, who encouraged us, and we want to be that for other people as well. I want to thank you. We've got an amazing hope on its way, getting closer by the day, we eagerly await it. I want to pray for people who are just, it just feels like your mind is just set on the day-to-day right now. And it's partly because that's just a surviving mechanism. Like if I just get through to the end of the day, that's fine. And there's times when life's like that. And God knows. And if that's you, I just want to invite you just to lift your eyes a little bit to this glorious glorious transformation that's on its way and we'll become like Jesus. He loves you. He's looking out for you right now. He has that work in you right now. And he will finish what he began. I encourage you, have confidence in that. And just many of you will have just felt that kind of, I, I do want to help people like this and I, I do want to be an example just open yourself up to God right now. Say, Lord, I do want to do that. Please help me. It's not about perfection. It's about walking in the right direction. Maybe you're not a Christian here today and I've been describing Christian hope to you. And maybe it explains those longings that are in your heart that just have never quite been satisfied by even the best things that you've done on this earth. It's because you were made for much more. It's because you were made to know the God of the universe and actually to be with him forever. And that's why those things are in there. They trouble you and sometimes you try and shout them down and God's spoken to them clearly to you today. I just want to encourage you to just tell him you're listening. And just to the things that have been settled assumptions for you. Just let them go a little bit and do some exploring. And we'd love to help you with that. So if you want to speak to me or someone who's brought you here afterwards today, we'd love to help you with that or the prayer team will be upstairs. Lord, thank you. We've got great hope in you. Amen.